so what you have here with net neutrality is the creation of a kind of a Federal Reserve for for uh, the Internet and the abolition of net neutrality, which the FCC has just uh, come out in favor of, is actually a deregulatory measure that brings about a free market for Internet service. And I think it's the first real step to uh, getting competition going again, which was locked down for more than two years. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, November 27th, 2017, here on this side of the Dateline. Today, we're joined on the other side of the Dateline by previous Corbett Report guest, Jeffrey Tucker, about a very interesting article he has just published up on FEE.org entitled, Goodbye Net Neutrality, Hello Competition. What an interesting take on a subject that is very much in the news these days. And I'm sure if you are on the internet, you will have heard about this in recent, uh, in recent weeks. The FCC's bold proposal to abolish the internet or something like that. I don't know. Call your congressman. They will save you is apparently what we are being told through all the regular outlets online, Reddit and uh, elsewhere. But there is someone out there who is against this, uh, this, this movement that has ar- arisen online to protect the internet. And he must be in the pocket of Comcast. I knew it. Jeffrey Tucker is an ISP shill. Uh, I knew it all along. How, how else could you possibly be against the, the movement to save the net? Uh, Jeffrey Tucker, defend yourself and your article. What do you mean by goodbye net neutrality? Hello, competition. <laughs> You know, a lot of people have been been victimized by a lot of propaganda here. People think net neutrality means free speech and and free internet, you know, and also free not just as in speech but also in beer, you know. So uh, this this is what people believe, and it's all propaganda. Essentially, net neutrality is a government regulation. It's a it's a price control. Um, and it, the conspiracy to bring about net neutrality is a is a, a kind of a cartel of large uh, uh, content providers and internet service providers. It's very interesting to me that you you said that I must be speaking on behalf of Comcast, but Comcast for two years has been very open and aggressive about its defense of net neutrality. I mean, people assume they're lying, but what if they're telling the truth? I mean, what if Verizon and ATT and, and, and Comcast all favor net neutrality? In fact, my argument is that they do because they figure that it's going to impose on them uh, and has imposed on them very high costs that they figure that their uh, close competitors um, cannot bear. So as incumbent corporate uh, uh, ruling class players in the industry, they're going to get away with it. And they're right about this. And of course, we know why Google and, and Netflix and Amazon and all the rest favor net neutrality, because uh, they want to foist the costs of doing business on, on somebody else. Uh, so what you have here with net neutrality is the creation of a kind of a Federal Reserve for, for uh, the Internet and the abolition of net neutrality, which the FCC has just uh, come out in favor of, is actually a deregulatory measure that brings about a free market for Internet service. And I think it's the first real step to uh, getting competition going again which was locked down for more than two years. Yes, for more than two years. That's important because I think people are thinking that this is some sort of bold new move that the FCC is making that would undo decades or generations or millions of years of history or something. We are talking about two 
years of internet yeah. history, going back to 2015, when the right. FCC you know, passed an open internet uh, right. initiative or something along those lines. You might, you might ask yourself, why are you still using cable, a cable modem? You know, why is this happening? Why, why do you face such little choice? Well, you know, uh, I'm in Japan, so <laughs> I don't. Okay. <laughs> Well, in, in the United States, it, it's a disaster. I mean, um, most localities have one or two uh, providers. Most of them are old technology. We just can't believe it. I mean, you try to get AT&T service, you're using, uh, you know, T1s, you know, out of your phone lines. Uh, I forget now what they call that, or cable modems or stuff. I mean, and what's the prospect of this changing? Under net neutrality, nothing. It's, it's going to be the same thing forever. But waiting in the wings are dozens of companies that are desperate to provide internet at much cheaper rates through much more advanced technology, whether it's fiber optics or distributed systems or, or God knows what's next. Right? Yes. But we're not going to find out unless we deregulate the system. Well, let's, let's get into the heart of that because this goes back to this Title II regulation that took place in 2015, whereby the internet uh, service providers were going to be regulated as public utilities. And we know yeah. how well that worked out in the telecommunications uh, right. era of 1934, so, when the act was originally passed, which created the AT&T monopoly, which arguably held back telecommunications technology for okay. half a century. So, so let's be clear about this. Uh, Comcast, Verizon, and AT&T all opposed Title II. And they're for net neutrality, but they're against net neutrality regulation. But they're for Title Two. Uh, they're against. They're 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 for net neutrality. They're against Title Two. Title Two makes them a public company, and and no good uh, uh, cartelist, you know, oriented capitalist is for being uh, nationalized. Uh, Title Two basically nationalizes the internet providers. So. They were against that aspect of the regulation, and that's gone, uh, thank goodness. But also gone is the price control, and that's what net neutrality really is. It's a, it's a control on prices. And people like to imagine that net uh, internet service is uh, not a scarce good. It is a scarce good. It's as scarce as tomatoes or green peppers or tennis shoes or, or uh, uh, dining room tables or anything else. And it has to be allocated according to the price system. So what we need is economics applied to internet provision. And that's what the repeal of net neutrality does. At least it's a beginning. Now, we still have local pro problems with local monopolies and state monopolies. Uh, but I think that we have a better chance of getting rid of those in the absence of net neutrality than in the presence of it. All right, so let's let's uh, start with the devil's advocate questions because you, yes, okay, scarce good in a sense, but not in the sense that this net neutrality uh, a concept applies to. For example, it would be like arguing that a power company should be able to charge you set different prices for powering your TV than powering your fridge. That's ridiculous. It's yeah. the same power. How can they charge you the same uh, different rates well, for the if, same if, data? If if the if the fridge used a lot more electricity than than the television, then it would be not a problem. In the same, same sense, of the water company um, charges you for the total amount of water, and your dishwasher uses a lot more uh, water than uh, your toilet. Probably, I don't know this for a fact, but but you should be able to charge based on on usage. But net neutrality actually prohibits that. So what it what it does is it creates a kind of a de facto price floor. For internet service, and it's 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 a generational issue, and I, I find it very interesting that you've got a lot of millennials out there that use vast amounts of internet. You know, they're playing online games, uh, they're torrenting files all day long, they're mining uh, Dogecoin, 
<laughs> you know, whatever it is. Meanwhile, the next door neighbor is, you know, a uh, uh, 70-something, and they're using the internet once a week to check to see if their uh, great-grandchild has sent them an email. You know, and it's, it's really wrong. I mean, uh, or let me put it this way. It should be up to the free market to decide the particular pricing schemes, not up to the government. And under net neutrality, the government has imposed this extreme regulation that forces pricing schemes on all the ISPs, which, you know, Comcast and Verizon and AT&T, they don't mind that. They don't mind it so much uh, as long as it raises the cost for new entrants uh, into uh, the industry. As incumbents, they can bear the costs. But new uh, entrepreneurs that are trying to get into the market uh, can't possibly compete because they have new uh, pricing schemes in mind to charge people based on how much the internet they use. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to pay more. Um, under competition, prices tend to go down over time. But at least initially, you know, we may not see that taking place. But over 18 months, 24 months, I assume that if the regime is stable, we're going to start seeing real changes. And it's going to be dramatic and, and, and wonderful, actually. I think people think that this is a new issue, that this has never occurred before. But of course, this is the old public utility issue that we've been dealing with for yeah. a very long time. The question is, sure. we can't really have fair competition here because we're talking about utility, utility infrastructure. You can't have dozens of companies running line to your house. It's going to be one or two that, that are going to develop as the natural monopolies in any area. So the government needs to step in and be the ones to oversee that process. That's, right? that's what's been going on since the 1920s in this country. We uh, have defined electricity and water as natural monopolies without reason, really. I mean, we really need uh, competition in those industries, too, especially in electricity. I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Our electrical systems, the electrical grid dates, you know, it's, it's 80, 90 years old at this point. Um, it's, it's absurd. So whenever you make anything a public utility, you freeze it in place and you take away the incentive to innovate and reduce prices. And that's what a lot of people are proposing to do with the internet. That's why I think net neutrality is a kind of a creation of a public utility or a Federal Reserve, you know, and we know what that did. I mean, it stopped progress and we really need progress. So I have to congratulate the FCC. And, you know, just so that I'm clear, I am not a champion of the Trump administration. You know, <laughs> my new book is is nothing but an attack on Trump and its regime. Um, I was warning about Trump and its dangers and the economics of Trumpism for the last two years. And um, I, I'm very much on the record here. But at the same time, um, what's going on at the FCC is a good thing. And I, I think we need to be objective about this and just take our deregulation where we can, where we can find it. And, and this, is a, this is a good case. You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because, of course, the people are pointing out, oh, Ajit Pai and his connections and whatever. They will not talk about the FCC chairman who actually oversaw this Title II regulation two years ago, Tom Wheeler, who was the former president of the National Cable and Telecommunications Association and oh, the former CEO of the Cellular T Telecommunications and Internet Association. I wonder why people didn't talk about Tom Wheeler and his connections when they were putting this regulation in in the first place. Yeah, 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 that, 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 that totally makes sense to me. It was an industry thing. You know, Washington always does this. Whenever they start to regulate an industry, they always brag, drag in what they call the stakeholders. 
you know, and they put all the stakeholders in front of them and say, what do you want? You know, and the regulatory bureaucracies serve them uh, without an eye towards maybe there's some smaller players out there with good ideas that might uh, have some new ideas on on how the industry ought to be run, some new competitive ideas. And under things like net neutrality or the Federal Reserve or a public utility uh, regulation, they don't get a chance. And it's and it's very tragic. And, you know, my own view is the Internet is too important to uh, play these games with at this point. You know, it's our future. It's the future of humanity, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, we have so many new uh, technologies coming up, blockchain technologies and uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, crypto asset te technologies. We desperately need a free Internet. And uh, I'm just I'm just glad to see these um, these regulations just going going the, uh, by the wayside. I mean, the, the, this kind of net neutrality is really a New Deal uh, style government regulation. And what's happening now is it's not a free market yet, but it's a step. So I think we need to celebrate it when it happens. Yes. Well, let's uh, also throw in an article from a uh, someone who's on our side of the discussion, but who plays something of the devil's advocate in this. So Rick Falkvinch, who was the founder of the original uh, Swedish Pirate Party, mm -hmm. who writes uh, up on his blog on Privacy News Online, privateinternetaccess.com, net neutrality is necessary regulation as a short-term emergency fix to previous bad regulation, where he goes on to uh, ultimately make the point that um, previous regulation have put the United States in a situation where telcos have been given a position where they can't, can effectively kill the internet because it threatens a legacy business model, a chance they'll jump on. Of course, the previous vested interest will always fight its replacement. The problem was the regulation giving telcos and cable companies the regulated ability to do this in the first place. So his argument is, because of previous bad regulation, this not perfect regulation is needed to basically correct the previous bad regulation. I get, I get that, and I've heard this before, but it, it's, it's an, it, it doesn't work. It's inconsistent in the end. Regulations never, never, never work. I mean, this is why I think we need a, a principled position. Actually, uh, wherever there's any regulation, let's 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 fix that, and uh, let let's favor that. And like I say, what this does is it devolves the battle to the state and local local governments. Uh, we we can actually fix this. Um, it's going to change the political dynamics dramatically, and. Internet provision is going to be different in every state and in every locality, and even all the way down to every subdivision uh, going forward. But look, we're, we're at a, a turning point in civilization. There is no way humanity is going to put up with these kind of mercant, mercant, mercantilist regulated uh, systems anymore. And we have to start deregulating them at some point. And I think the best uh, stage at which to uh, start that is at the center, at the federal level, at, at the level of the central government, let's get the, the federal government out of it, and then we can start get you start uh, devolving it down to the local level over time. But we had to do something, and the and and also you know these people that recommend federal regulation, they always imagine that they're going to be in charge of it and it's going to be conducted exactly as they want, and that's not true. You know, I mean, you can have all the fantasies you want about how government's going to work for you, but you're not in charge of it. That's the critical thing about government. Somebody else is running the system. So you can have all the fantasies you want about perfect government regulation. 
to correct injustice and bring about fairness and blah, blah, blah. It never happens that way. Ultimately, as long as you keep voting and voting harder and harder, the right people will get in and the angels will run the system. I know. And, you know, this is the number one error of, of people with this kind of ideological orientation, which, which, you know, for lack of a better term, is socialistic or leftist or whatever you want to say. I mean, I just got back from Yale University debating all these people. You know, it's a political union. Two thirds of them, you know, were socialists. And, you know, speaker after speaker after speaker responded to what I what I what I called for, which is massive deregulation and so on, um, you know, got up and, and gave me their perfect central plan for how the world would work if they were in charge of it. And, you know, to all these people, I would just say, you know, that's fascinating, but you're not in charge. Nobody appointed you dictator. What you're doing is giving the worst of the worst the power to muscle the rest of us. And it doesn't work. It, and, and, and you can have all the fantasies you want, you know, as an intellectual, as a privileged person uh, at Yale University about how you want government to work. But uh, in the end, uh, it's going to be the ruling class that controls the state. It's always the case. Yeah, exactly. So it, and it's like all the Obama cheerleaders who are now shocked and aghast that Trump has all these powers. So they can't yeah. talk about the things that Obama did to create all those powers to give to someone like Trump. Now they have to talk about Russia and all this stuff because they can't actually address the real issues. They can't address the real issue, which is presidential power, which they created and they endorsed. They created Trump. It's really true. And it's so naive. Uh, uh, but we've been seeing it for the last hundred years, this ideology of, of political power. Let's, let's build up a mighty central state so it can do exactly what I want it to do. And then uh, it doesn't do exactly what you want, and you get mad about it. I'm sorry. But, you know, at some point, you're just going to have to come to terms with it. The only option we really have is freedom. And freedom's imperfect. You're not going to get your way exactly. But at least somebody else isn't going to gain the power to control your life, your speech, your associations. And that's why we need, I believe, a consistent application of freedom. And at least net the end of net neutrality is, is a step towards that end. So I was thrilled. And really, as much as I've opposed the Trump administration uh, since the beginning on its immigration policy, on its foreign policy, its military policy, its trade policy, so many things. Um, you know, I, I think this is one good thing and I, I think we need to call it out and we need, we need to be objective. We need to be principled and not hysterical, you know, look at the facts and, and celebrate achievement where it happens. And this is an actual achievement. So good. And, you know, here's the other thing the left needs to realize, um, deregulation is a funny thing. You never know what's going to, going to come from, you know, uh, the Carter administration, was the most deregulatory administration since World War II. Now, who expected that? But under Carter, we got rid of trucking deregulation, uh, regulation and oil regulation, telecommunications regulation, and about five different uh, acts of massive deregulation occurred under Jimmy Carter. So uh, Republicans need to realize this. And in the same way, the Democrats need to realize that Trump is not you know, not everything that comes out of the Trump uh, White House is going to be terrible. This is one good thing. So why not call it out and celebrate it? But I tell you, the amount of trolling I've received online, I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, from the instant that that article went live, I've faced such abuse 
uh, e through email and Facebook and Twitter, especially, of course, Twitter. And otherwise, I mean, I can't believe it. You know, and the, the, I can the, believe the, it. As you say, the propaganda goes deep on this one. And this is where the rubber hits the road in real terms for people who espouse, yeah, liberty, freedom is great, except, no, we, we need the government over here to do this. You know, we need this limitation on freedom. No, really either you believe in free markets or you don't. Which is it? That's right. And I really do think it's a generational thing. Um, a lot of young people just, they want freebies. And... Um, and they may eventually get them, you know, but it, it, but it's not going to be through federal regulation. It's going to be through um, competition and free markets. And I think if we just let the free market work in telecommunications and in Internet service provision, um, we're going to eventually be better off. Um, I'd like to say I just I, to all the people who celebrate net neutrality and are opposed to this deregulation effort, um, I would say give it 24 months and then come back and talk to me. Let's see, let's see what it looks like. I think the world's going to be a different place in 24 months. Let's we've we've that, held yeah. up progress over the last two years, and it's been very unfortunate. I mean, uh, I, the costs have actually gone up over the last two years, and we've got no new service provision. I mean, even it's very interesting to me. Google is in an interesting place because on one hand, it's a massive content provider, so it favors uh, net neutrality. On the other hand, they're trying to bring about Google Fiber, which would come into every home in America and give you two, three times the speed of internet that you're currently getting. And they've been stymied, actually, because uh, they're restricted by federal pricing. So this could help. I'd say in the long run, this could help Google uh, come into your home and give you new options. But Google won't have a monopoly. There'll be somebody else. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in these new distributed systems that people are talking about so that you don't have to even uh, register with anybody. You know, you don't have to subscribe to anybody. You can use uh, leftover internet uh bandwidth from your next door neighbor and i, I think i think this is this is coming yeah, to these distributed absolutely. systems there are things I mean, on the horizon that people who who kind of vaguely follow these things have no idea about about ipfs and mesh networking and these other ideas yeah. that are completely going to make yeah. this seem like you know the horse and carriage kind of debate well, it's going to make it all our current system is going to seem like dial up in five years it really is and remember how we used to laugh about hey, dial up is horrible right and we laugh about it ha 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 battle days well these are the battle days now we're going to see uh, massive changes uh, in the future and here I sit in Japan where I don't even know how many ISPs I have to choose from, maybe a dozen or something. And they're calling me every week trying to get me to sign up. Oh, we can give you a better price. We can give you a better deal here. So what are the prices like? Are they always going down? You feel... Uh, I, uh, well, they certainly haven't gone up. and uh, the But the performance continues to go up. And it's fiber, of course. And it's... What do, can you tell me your data? What do, what do you get down? What do you get up? I don't know. I will do a speed test as we're talking. And as I do that, um, I will direct people to an article I wrote on that Title II regulation that took place a couple of years ago called Net Neutrality or How to Regulate the Internet to Thunderous Applause. But uh, could you direct people to any resources that you think are worth? Sure. Uh, I, I write every day at fee.org. And we're trying to bring some economic rationality to all the current debates. And you know, I've been writing about net neutrality. I've been writing about Bitcoin and blockchain technology. Um, you know, I write about bigger subjects too, um, culture and, and music and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. I mean, basically, James, I'm a believer in freedom. 
and and I believe that freedom works better than government regulation. And there's a lot of implications to that. So every day it's my pleasure to be able to write about that subject. All right. Well, uh, the the speed test is not cooperating with me right now, but it is. Uh... I would imagine a far sight handier than most people in the United States, and that's because of market competition. So let's continue to plug freedom as the solution. What's the question? Um, And we will direct people, of course, to fee.org, where you're doing excellent work with your blog and uh, directing content in general. Uh, Jeffrey Tucker, thank you again for your time. I very much appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you so much. All the best. Bye-bye. Federal Reserve, the heart of the American banking system. For over 100 years, it has operated in the shadows, controlling America's money supply in total secrecy. So all that information is available uh, in our commercial paper program. And who got the money? Hundreds and hundreds of banks. Any bank or that has uh, access to the U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve's discount. Can tell us who they are? No. Until now... 100 years ago, in 1913, the Fed was created. Fractional reserve banking. The legal authority to do it. Takeover of monetary policy. Are conducted by the Federal Reserve Banks. They are banks. There is no other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. Century of Enslavement. The History of the Federal Reserve. Watch the documentary for free at corporatereport.com slash Federal Reserve and purchase a copy on DVD to help support The Corbett Report today.